Psalm 19 verse 9 says that the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So if you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 17 this morning, which is an account from Christ's public ministry that really brings home the significance of Christ's resurrection for you and I. You see, today is Resurrection Sunday. It is the day that we as Christians celebrate Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And I never want to assume you might be here this morning and not really know much of what I just said or any of what was sung about. And if that's the case, let me explain just a few things really quick before we get started. The book that we are opening up this morning to study, the Bible, is a collection of historic writings written down by over 40 different authors over nearly one and a half thousand years. And yet what's most miraculous about it is it has one consistent message, that it is the Word of God that tells us who God is and what He has done in this world for man. And we here at Grace Chapel believe the Bible's testimony about itself. We believe that this is the Word of God. And we call ourselves Christians because we have come to know and to recognize from the Word of God that Jesus, a man who walked this earth nearly 2,000 years ago, that taught many wondrous things and performed many miraculous signs and wonders in the presence of hundreds and even thousands of eyewitnesses, that this Jesus is the Christ. That is, He is the divine, saving King that God had long promised in His Word to send humanity. This Jesus was delivered over into the hands of sinful men and was hung to death on a cross as a criminal, exactly as God's Word had foretold would happen to the Christ, God's promised King, nearly a thousand years prior before His birth. And beyond even that, God confirmed Jesus to be the saving King by rising Him from the dead after three days. Of this truth, nearly 500 people at least gave eyewitness testimony to, several of whom were the writers of the letters and the Gospels that you have in the book in front of you. And so I want all of us to understand that today. This is why most Christians set aside this Sunday as Resurrection Sunday, and our church is no exception. We worship God on every Sunday morning, and we set aside this Sunday in particular to draw attention to the historic fact that God the Son came to this earth He was born of a virgin and revealed to be Jesus Christ our Lord. He lived 33 blameless years on this earth in perfect obedience of that even His enemies had to testify of. They could not bring a charge against Him at the end of His life. He died on the cross and then He rose again in victory over death on the third day, a Sunday. And that's why we're here. And that's why we've gathered together today. Now, if you're here this morning, I expect that most of you have at least the basic knowledge of the resurrection, that there was a man named Jesus who rose from the grave on a Sunday after being dead since Friday. But you might be perhaps struggling this morning on understanding the significance of all of that. Okay, so someone rose from the dead once. Good for him. But what does that have to do with me and the life that I'm living right now? Well, that's what Jesus shows us today from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, where we see Jesus' actions at a funeral reveal what the resurrection means for you and me. 
Our journey through this passage is going to take place in four steps. We're going to see in verses 11 through 12 the moment that calls for resurrection. Then in verses 13 through 14, the mercy that causes resurrection. Then in verse 15, we're going to see the might that carries out resurrection. And then finally in verses 16 through 17, we're going to consider the message that confirms resurrection. So the moment that calls, the mercy that causes, the might that carries out, and the message that confirms resurrection. And by God's grace, by the time we're done with this passage, you will know what the resurrection means for you. So with that in mind, let's read Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words for us today. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11. Soon afterwards, he, that is Jesus, went to a town called Nain. And his disciples in a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when this Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then she came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of God, who gives great peace to those who love it, for nothing can make them stumble. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. I thank you for how the passage set before us today reveals the glory of Jesus, of who he is, and what he does for those who trust in him. Father, I pray that your spirit would lead us on level ground through this passage this morning and that you would this morning open blind eyes to see, shatter dead hearts, and cause living hearts to be brought forth. I pray that this morning you might cause some to be born again, and I pray for everyone here today that we would behold the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, and recognize his worth and worship him. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now to adjust ourselves to this morning's passage this morning, uh, this account comes from the Gospel of Luke. Luke was written by a first-century doctor of the same name, a man who compiled his gospel of Jesus' life after interviewing countless eyewitnesses and verifying those accounts. Luke talks about the careful process he went through in making this gospel at the beginning of the book, if you're interested in looking at that further. And here, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus of Nazareth has just begun his three-and-a-half-year public ministry in Israel, and he's just selected his twelve disciples— his twelve apostles, the twelve men who were to carry on Jesus' message and ministry after him. 
And so, it was very important for these 12 men who have just come around Jesus to know exactly who Jesus is and what He had come to do. Just as it's important for us to understand these very same things. And so in Luke chapter 7, what we find when you study the chapter is that Jesus performs four miraculous signs, all of which were purposely designed to teach us something very important about Jesus and His mission. We're going to be looking at the second of those four signs this morning, found in verses 11 through 17 in Luke chapter 7, in which Jesus demonstrates that He not only has resurrection power, that he possesses, but he has resurrection power that he exercises on behalf of others by means of his own mercy and divine power. So let's see this morning, let's see that this morning, beginning with the moment that calls for resurrection in verses 11 through 12. And we're just going to read this as the account and the narrative that it is. Luke writes soon afterwards. So that is soon after Jesus had just healed the centurion's son mentioned in the previous verses. Soon after that, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So I want you to picture this scene in your mind this morning. Jesus is headed towards the town of Nain with his disciples, and it says a great crowd was traveling with him. And as he and his large crowd is approaching the city, they're met by a considerable crowd coming out of the city. So whatever's about to happen in this passage, we understand is going to be a very public event. These are two crowds smashing together. What's about to happen is going to reveal something about Jesus that Jesus wants everybody there to know about him. And what a scene confronts Jesus and his followers in that moment as they approach the city. What a display of sorrow and death. We're told that a man who had died was being carried out. Out comes this dead body being carried on a bier, as verse 14 says. In Jewish culture, that was basically an open stretcher until they would carry the body to the place of burial. And in front of this stretcher is a forlorn forlorn figure of a woman who's weeping bitterly in sorrow. And around this stretcher and surrounding the woman is gathered a group we know from culture of professional Jewish mourners who with their flutes and their cymbals and their mournful wails are leading the entire town in a loud, dissonant wailing. Well, in the midst of all of that, Jesus sees that wretched figure of a woman walking alone. Jesus' disciples would have seen her as well, that she was alone. There was no husband walking beside her in this funeral procession. There was no children by her side. She's alone. A widow. And the dead body on the stretcher is her only son. And now he's dead. He's cut off in the prime of life. Whether by accident or disease, we don't know. But now as a widow in that culture, she is truly alone without any means of protection or provision at all. She is alone as she goes to bury her own son, likely beside the grave of her deceased husband. That is a picture of sorrow that we see here in this passage. Of isolation, of sadness, and of death. And as such, this picture of a woman here is a picture of every man, woman, and child as Jesus comes to them in their need. This woman is a fitting description of you, of me, and of this whole world right now without the saving presence of Jesus Christ. 
We are covered in the sorrow, the loneliness, and the hopelessness that death brings. We are reminded of the brokenness of this world every single week. We truly live in a world that is under a curse. See, the Bible says that we have all sinned. We've all chosen to go our own way rather than God's ways. We've rebelled against God's goodness. God's goodness that is even given to us freely as a gift in this life. And the wages of all that sin is death. It is eternal separation from God forever in a place of eternal punishment created for the devil and his angels called hell. And I just have to think in a gathering of this size, there is someone here today who knows this deep down already. That's why you fear death and the things that can bring about your death. Because deep down you know that you're not ready to die. Deep down you know that you are not ready to face whatever faces you beyond the grave. And perhaps this morning you're looking for hope. You're looking for something or someone that can take away your heart of sin and can take away your dread of death. You are experiencing right now a moment that calls for resurrection, just like this passage. A young woman, a young man, an entire town here in name, struck by sudden, unexpected tragedy. Many of us over this past year, I know as a pastor, have experienced tragedy. And just like that widow, we've seen that oftentimes life can come to a screeching halt in the face of inescapable death. These are moments that call for resurrection. Is there any hope? In these moments, here we see in this passage, yes. Because in the very moment that calls for resurrection, that is the moment when Jesus arrives. And when the moment that calls for resurrection turns into the mercy that causes resurrection. And this is in verses 13 through 14. I want you to look at how Jesus responds to this situation. It says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Literally, he had a gut reaction of mercy towards her. He deeply, richly, intimately felt within himself what she was feeling in that moment. Her brokenness, her sorrow, her pain, it touched him to the innermost part of his being. The same idea is brought out elsewhere at another funeral that Jesus went to in John chapter 11 at the death of Lazarus, his friend. There it says in verse 33 of John 11, when Jesus saw her, that is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, weeping at the tomb and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, it says in John 11, he was deeply moved in his spirit. That word indicates the hidden and an involuntary heaving gasp. One that is, verse 35 makes clear, gave way to tears from Christ. One scholar attempting to translate this word wrote, he gave way to such a distress of spirit that it made his whole body tremble. Jesus had a physical reaction. He felt the moment. He felt the pain. 
when you have gone through suffering and sorrow and loss, Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. And that's what happens here in the sight of this widow walking in front of her own son's coffin with all of her hope and all of her future and all of her heart about to be buried in the tomb. This causes Jesus' heart to leap out to her. This is Jesus. He is the God of compassion. And his loving affection flows out to this woman cloaked in the mournful fear of death and what it brings. And Jesus' loving compassion, I want you to know, reaches out to you today. You who have a fear of death, perhaps. Who have no hope and no confidence beyond the grave. I want you to know that Jesus came for you. Jesus came for you. He came for those moments of sorrow and brokenness and fear. Those moments of death. Jesus came for those who have no hope and no confidence beyond the grave. Jesus came for you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus already knew the state of fear and death that you would often find yourself in here on earth. He knew what life you would face. It may be surprising to you, but it is not a surprise to him. And that is why long before this moment ever arrived in mercy, Jesus died on the cross as a payment and an offering for your sins. And if you will trust in him, if you will call out to him for salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, you will be saved. That record of sin that stands against you, that sin that leads to death that even right now can bind you under a fear of death, that is removed from you if you would but trust in Jesus and turn to the mercy and power of Christ. This morning, right where you sit, you can confess to the Lord that you are a sinner on the basis of His mercy, ask for forgiveness, and He has promised that He will save you. He took on death in your place, so that you would need not fear it. In His mercy, He will forgive you. Having nailed all of your sins to the cross, He can command the sorrow and fear of eternal death to cease from your life. How do I know this? How do I know that Jesus has this power? It's because this is what I and so many other people in this room have experienced. This church is a testimony to that fact. And also, because that's exactly what happens in this passage. Look at the end of verse 13. Jesus says this. Jesus said to her, Do not weep. Think about that for a moment. In Jesus' mercy, He commands her sorrow to cease. He says to her, Don't cry. Can you imagine someone saying that in a funeral today? Walking up to those who are grieving, Hey, stop crying. I mean, that's a quick way to get thrown out really fast. Why? Because when we say things like that, we say it when we're either callous to the sorrows of the other, stop crying. Or when we feel helpless to do anything about the sorrows that we see in others, please don't cry. We say these type of things because we don't know how to handle the sorrow that's found in others. But when Jesus says here, do not weep, he says it because he knows how to handle the sorrow, and he will. He says, do not weep because he knows what he's about to do next. And so in mercy, he commands sorrow to cease. And next, I want you to see that he commands death itself to cease. 
Look at verse 14. It says, and he came up and he touched the beard. Jesus goes right up and he touches that beard. He touches it. This would have caused all the Jews in that crowd at that time to recoil in horror. You see, touching a coffin back then would have made you ceremonially unclean according to the Old Testament and would have cut you off from Jewish life for a while. But you see here, Jesus is not afraid of defilement, nor he is afraid of death like those Jews. He is not. He walks right up to that stretcher of death and he touches it without fear. And rather than defilement coming on him, his purity and power and cleanliness transfers the other way. It says the bearers stood still. The bearers stood still. They were in absolute shock. Jesus stops the funeral procession. And everyone freezes over the dismissively fearless thing that Jesus has just done in the midst of that huge crowd. And in the silence of that moment, as everyone is aghast, Jesus speaks. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. This is very significant. If you were to study Jesus' life and his other miracles, Jesus would sometimes do something physical when he did miracles, right? So sometimes he might touch people's eyes, or he might rest his hand on them, or he might give some instructions for people to follow, go and find this pool and wash in it. But in every single one of Jesus' resurrections that he ever performed on planet Earth, Jesus never does any of that sort. He just speaks and he causes the dead to rise. And I think Jesus does that for a reason. He doesn't require gimmicks or emotions or anything like that. He is the source of all life. And all he has to do is speak and life comes into a dead body. There are no gimmicks required when it comes to Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life, and He gives this everlasting life to whomever He wills, to whoever believes in Him, as John 11.25 says. So that when we come to John chapter 8, Jesus doesn't do anything special there. He just says, child, arise. In John chapter 3, He says, go and your son will live. In John chapter 11, Lazarus, come forth. Here in Luke 7, young man, arise. And for us, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He speaks, and by the power of his word, he produces life in those who are dead. This is the mercy that causes resurrection, which leads us next to the might that carries out resurrection. In this moment of the account, Jesus has commanded both sorrow and death to cease. And look at what happens next in verse 15. This is the might that carries out resurrection. After Luke records that Jesus said, Young man, arise, he then tells us, The dead man sat up and began to speak. No slow process there. Creative, life-giving power explodes out of the mouth of Christ. And beyond the curtain of death, this young man hears Jesus' powerful cry of command and he obeys. He comes back to life from death. What a miracle. He was dead and now he's alive and talking in the middle of his own funeral procession. Jesus commands death to cease and death itself obeyed. Death ceased. That's exactly what happens to us spiritually at the moment that we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Ephesians 1 teaches us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. 
And then in His mercy, God sends to us the good news of Jesus Christ and by His power and grace, we understand and we believe and we are made alive together in Christ Jesus. And we who are dead in our trespasses and sins are made alive. And we see a picture of that here. As Jesus commands death to cease, and it ceases. As that man sits up and is suddenly alive and speaking. Now, we don't have to put some type of candy coating on this, because these people were just like us. I am sure people screamed at this moment. No doubt people freaked out. What in the world is happening? But look at what happens with the mother. It says at the end of verse 15 that after the man sat up and began to speak, it says Jesus personally gave him to his mother. I want you to imagine how her utter shock gives way in that moment to inexpressible joy as she held in her arms the young man that had been dead that she had been weeping over just moments before. Her boy that she had lost was returned. I'm sure that with this mother, her tears of sorrow were replaced with shouts and tears of joy. And so have you noticed what just happened? Jesus in his mercy commanded sorrow and death to cease. And sorrow and death ceased. By his mercy and by his power, Jesus interrupts the procession of sorrow and death and he replaces it with a parade of joy and life. Maybe you haven't lived long enough to realize how important that is. But there are many here this morning who do. Jesus can interrupt the procession of sorrow and death and replace it with a parade of joy and life. Just like Jesus has done for us who are His children, though we may not even think about it very much. This Resurrection Sunday is glorious because it reminds us not only that of this new spiritual life that is ours through faith in Jesus. This morning, I don't want you to miss the obvious fact of the new, not only spiritual life, but the new physical life that awaits all of those who belong to Jesus Christ. The voice of Jesus in this passage is the voice of the future for us. Like the ways of the sea Jesus has commanded sorrow and death in the life of His children. Thus far you shall come, but no further. There is coming a day when at the command of Christ, our experience here of sorrow and of death as believers will cease forever. As Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The ripples of that glorious day are seen in the passage that's before us today. Other religions might try to speak to the pressing issues of life and death, but only Jesus can and has done something about them. 
There is a day coming when the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. And the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. And after that, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. See, what this passage is teaching us, what the New Testament teaches us, what Jesus' resurrection teaches us, is that there is hope after death. There is life after death. Because of the resurrection of Christ, there is a resurrection for us who believe in Him. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Romans 6, verse 5, If we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14, We know that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. Because of the resurrection of Christ, there is a resurrection for us who have trusted in Him. Resurrection in life. As Jesus says in John 5:28 through 29 speaking of the final resurrection, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of God and come forth. Those who have done good, the good of trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. See, there is coming a day when Jesus will speak to the depths of the sea. When Jesus will speak to the roots of the mountains. When Jesus will speak to the very molecules of our bodies. And you and I will hear. There is coming a day when everyone will hear the voice of the risen Son of God. We'd better be ready. Especially when we understand that it is only those who hear His voice and obey now that will hear His voice later at the resurrection that leads to life. So we'd better get ready. And we'd better listen to His voice and His powerful Word now. we better be hearing what He is saying about Himself. And those of us who do, we see here pictured in Luke chapter 7 what a day that will be. When our Jesus we shall see. In that day, just like what happened on this day outside of Nain, families of those who have believed will be reunited together in the presence of Jesus. Your husband, perhaps. Your wife. Your mother. Your father. Your brother. Your sister. Your child will hear His voice along with you and rise. You and I who have trusted in Him will arise following our exalted head. Sorrow and sadness will flee away and death shall be no more because of the divine mercy and power of Jesus who in compassion saw us in our moment of need and demonstrated the mercy and might to establish for us, as First Peter 1.3 says, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just like he died for this young man and his mother, 
Jesus is interrupted for us, the procession of sorrow and death. I don't know how many times I get done looking at the world news and think to myself, what a world we live in. But we're not afraid. For we have a living hope because by God's grace through faith, we have heard our risen Savior's voice and we believe in Him. We are not without hope in this world. We have a living hope. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And finally, the moment that calls for resurrection and the mercy and might that carries out resurrection leads to what happens next. Very important. It leads to this morning. The message that confirms resurrection in verses 16 through 17. Luke writes this. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying two things. A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited His people. Though they hadn't yet come to believe it in their hearts and their absolute astonishment and all, they actually confess two very true statements with their mouths here, though they didn't quite grasp the significance of either of them at the time. First, the crowd exclaimed, A great prophet has arisen among us. That indicates that they were starting to think that Jesus actually was that promised king prophesied in the Old Testament. That Redeemer Messiah who would be that prophet who is far greater than Moses in their astonishment. They're saying here in this moment, whether they realize it or not, I think Jesus is the Christ. And then in their shock, they declare excitedly, God has visited His people. And oh, if they had only understood the significance of what they were saying in that moment. Jesus was God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He had come to earth and He had visited His people. He was God the Son. And in three short years From this event, God the Father would declare this fact Himself with power and authority when, by the Spirit, He rose Jesus Christ from the dead, proving His resurrection power not just only for Himself, but for all those who would believe in Him and join themselves to Him. The resurrection power of Jesus shows us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. This is what the resurrection means for you. It's exactly what needs to be declared today. That's the message that needs to be declared today, just as it was declared all those years ago. As verse 17 says, this report about Him, that He was the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may find life in His name, this report spread throughout the whole of Judea and the surrounding countryside, and it has continued to spread throughout the years until it has come to you today. So, Grace Chapel, what will you do with this report? What will you do with this? We live in a world without hope. We have a hope. Will we boast in it? Will we boast in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has the mercy and power to stop the procession of sorrow and death in this world and cause it to become a parade of joy and life for those who are in Him?
This is what the resurrection says to us. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He has visited His people. He is not dead. He is alive forevermore. He is the resurrection and the life. And He has come to you in this moment, in a moment that perhaps for you is calling for a resurrection. And He sees you this morning in His mercy, in your sorrow and fear of death. And in mercy, He did not pull back, but He has reached out to you in your sins. And He died on the cross on your behalf so that you might not have to face God's wrath for your sins for all of eternity, but rather that you might look to Him and live. And by the very power and might of His own resurrection, He is using perhaps this very message to call some under the hearing of His Word to believe, be saved, repent, and be made alive this morning. I call on you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, be made alive. Look to Jesus and live. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the sure and steadfast anchor of the souls. He is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. He's the good news that this world needs to hear. Hear His call. Be saved all the ends of the earth. And when you do, you are promised by Jesus a new and an everlasting life. An eternal life that is uninterrupted by the experience of death where death is not the end, but an unending life in the merciful and mighty hand of Christ who will one day call us all to rise from the grave also. So on this Resurrection Sunday, I ask you to believe in this. Believe that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. Believe. His resurrection becomes yours when you believe. No more sin's condemnation. No more eternal sorrow or death. Only life. Life everlasting. In the name of Jesus. This is what the resurrection means for you and I. That's why we celebrate Hallelujah. Praise the Lord that we have such good news for such a time as this. The report has been spread to you. Now let's go this week and spread it to others. And this is the Word of God from Luke chapter 7, verses 11-17, through 17, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience in the fervent care of one another until He who arose, returns. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the hope that we have this Resurrection Sunday. Father, we have no idea what this next year has in store. We have no idea what pictures of sorrow or death we will meet in coming months. But we know, we know, we know Jesus. And we know He is the one who walks beside us in those moments 
who stops the procession of sorrow and death and gives to us who trust in Him a living hope. We have no idea what we're going to face in coming months. We have no idea what our neighbors are going to face in coming months. But Father, we know the report that they must hear. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, there is life in His name. Help us to be faithful in declaring this good news to those who need to hear it just like us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.